This is the Midlife Mail Podcast with Greg Scheiman, brought to you by Inns Group Insurance. Inns Group is ensuring success. From the Gal Media Studios, here's Greg Scheinman. Here we go, Midlife Mail Podcast time. Welcome to the show. I am Greg Scheinman, your host this week and every week. Thank you guys for joining us. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. Thanks for those five-star reviews. Thanks for passing the program along to your friends, to other guys out there, to anybody who wants to hear some incredibly interesting stories of successful midlife males, high performers, risk takers, the guys out there that are balancing it just like us, doing a little bit better every single day. On the show today, Going one-on-one with the king of vintage fashion, Mr. Seth Weiser of What Goes Around Comes Around. 25 years ago, Seth and his partner Gerard Mayon, I hope I pronounced that right, sorry Gerard, embarked on a mission to put vintage fashion on the world's radar. They created the concept of What Goes Around Comes Around. They launched in Manhattan. They gave customers something that the market was missing. We're talking bespoke vintage fashion pieces from the world's top luxury brands. Pretty cool. 25 years later, they have concepts in Manhattan, East Hampton, Miami, Beverly Hills, new flagship store on Madison Avenue. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the 25-year partnership between Seth and Gerard. We're going to talk about balance. We're going to talk about style. This one's going to get interesting. So on the Midlife Mail podcast today, here we go. Mr. Seth Weiser. All right, Seth. Welcome to the Midlife Mail podcast, my man. Thanks for doing this, especially on a Sunday afternoon. My pleasure. I don't get much time, so this worked into my schedule. Good. Well, I appreciate getting on getting on that schedule. So we met. I think oh, we were online at Joe Stone Crab in Miami Beach. Is that right? I think that's where we met the first time. Yeah, I mean, I, everybody's online at Joe's, aren't they? <laughs> I guess, I guess so. Yours is probably a shorter wait than mine, though. I do have some local connections in Miami. Nice, and I'm and we were introduced to a friend. And I'm looking at you. I'm going, okay, th- this guy doesn't look like everybody else. This guy's interesting here. You know what's what's some of the story and and I got familiar with what goes around comes around and I'm like what an interesting really cool business that I know absolutely nothing about um but I'm supremely supremely intrigued so tell me a little bit about you know what what goes around comes around what is it exactly so we 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 started the company now 25 years ago and when we started the business uh, one of my best friends from college uh, Jared Mayoni and I were living in New York City and in our kind of busy social life, which was professionally every night of the week, um, you really had to grit, have good style actually to get into the parties in that era. It wasn't about the bottle service or, you know, buy your way in. Uh, you either cool, you didn't get in. And we, we thought that fashion was such a great way to express, you know, our, our individual style and what we're doing. So, you know, being out of college, we couldn't afford designer fashion. So we immediately started kind of thrifting and hunting for key styles uh, in resale shops. And uh, Gerard at the time was working at Ralph Lauren and I was in graduate school. 
And George started immediately seeing a direct connection to uh, what he was seeing brand new from Ralph, uh, being inspired from vintage. And we also saw this start to permeate onto like runways and stuff that we were kind of looking at from a fashion perspective. And, you know, together we were like, well, what if one story really just took a different point of view uh, using vintage and kind of selected things very carefully, merchandise it like a new store would be, and kind of did something to highlight how special some of this was. And, you know, that was kind of the origin idea of the business. And about as soon as we opened uh, our Soho location, which we still occupy, uh, immediately people uh, were responding to it. And because we had done something really, truly uniquely different, um, we were getting acknowledged by Vogue and the New York Times and the media took quick notice to what we were up to. And, you know, that be, kind of began the initial conceptual evolution of the business. And, you know, through now 25 years of history, we've been through what I attribute to, like, four life cycles of the business. And, you know, the vintage era that we began with the business was true vintage. We're talking going back to even turn the century uh, product. And then uh, about six months after we opened, uh, we entered a, a, a phase where the Japanese were really going incredibly crazy trend-wise for American vintage, uh, led by, like, vintage Levi's, and we were, like, one of the biggest viewers of Levi's, and going through, like, sports or military and workwear, uh, probably the next, like, six years of our career, we're literally running around the country and chasing vintage because we began – wholesaling to the Japanese and had this tremendous like secondary business immediately unfold out of our retail store. And um, when in 1999, the Japanese economy went through a very big correction um, in a matter of a week, uh, the Japanese vintage market evaporated. So um, <laughs> that was our, our first, <laughs> our first lesson and avoid a bubble. Okay. <laughs> came, came out of that. So you, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. You, got, you mentioned that you met your partner, Gerard, at, at school. Where did you guys go to school? So we went to Syracuse. Uh, I, I graduated in 89. He graduated in 90. And, um, you know, we were there during, like, a, a great era of, of Syracuse University, like with basketball and football and lacrosse. It was, a, it was a great time. We still had a bunch of friends from Syracuse still that we're really close with. The, the hotbed of fashion, clearly. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're in Siberian fashion, I guess I would attribute to that. And you were going to grad school while Gerard was at, at Ralph Lauren. What were you studying in grad school? So I went and I got a master's in real estate from uh, NYU. And initially, uh, I was thinking to go work for my father, who lived in South Florida and was in the real estate business. Um, and then the the crazy idea to open what goes around it come up and instead of following my potential future in real estate, uh, my future in fashion began. So let me ask you about that too. It's one thing to have a cool sense of style, be able to find things, pick them out, you know, get yourself into the clubs. It's a whole nother thing to be able to turn that, you know, into a business, you know, both the style and, and the substance. What is, I guess, how do you guys divide up your roles, skill sets, you know, and what, what challenges did you face in getting the business launched, you know, 25 years ago? Um, 
and staying relevant today from both the style and the, and the business standpoint? So Gerard and I have really uh, a unique partnership. It's hard to look and see other business partnerships that that we've been, you know, business partners for 25 years. We now realize how rare it is to find someone that you can kind of achieve that with. And partially it's, it's because we have a similar foundation of philosophy and just how we were brought up. We were both brought up in Long Island and had similar, you know, familial middle-class uh, backgrounds. And I think that helped keep us grounded. But ultimately, you know, between the two of us, uh, defining our roles with me being the business leader and him being the creative leader of the business was a key aspect. And having that kind of balance between the two worlds, the two different points of view, um, certainly led us through many challenges over our careers. You guys just opened your new store, right? Madison Avenue? That's right. How does that feel? You know, flagship store, 25 years in, you know, emotionally, you know, financially, how does that, how do you guys make those decisions to take that, take that leap? And then how does that feel at this point in your career? You know, it's, it's interesting because we, we started expanding our retail business um, in fall 2008, ironically, at the exact moment that the, the recession began and we had been approached to open a store in Los Angeles at that time in a project that was spearheaded by Urban Outfitters that was a real estate project. And so we, we opened up out there and opened our second store, which a few years later, we moved to La Brea across from a very famous store named American Rag and kind of built a nice business for five years there. And, you know, through the evolutions of our business, uh, we started transition from the original concept of the true vintage era, and we had always had an aspiration of being a brand. So no matter what, we had always been building up a, a brand equity, and we thought the kind of exit for us or the kind of level to kind of go global was to be through designing and creating our own fashion clothing label. And in 2005, we, we decided, you know, after now 12 years in business, like it was the time. Um, throughout the kind of previous five, six years after the Japanese kind of market bubble burst, we developed an incredible business of archival inspiration for the fashion industry. And we, we had a preeminent loft in Tribeca that was being, you know, every day, viewed by every fashion designer and fashion label to buy vintage styles to inspire their brand. And we were seeing so many of our incredible pieces literally creating mass fashion trends. So we launched the label and, you know, had a great success out of the gates and uh, in some ways distracted our focus, but we thought that was to be the kind of end game. And, and when the recession hit, like the contemporary fashion market was, one of the most you know, critically hit areas of fashion. A lot of the mom and pop and smaller fashion boutiques around the country were forced out of business, and it was kind of a bloodbath. But ironically, in 2009, while we were kind of treading water, so to speak, um, we were approached by one of our clients uh, to, to get them some vintage Chanel jewelry. Um, and it's an online retailer named ShopUp, which is an Amazon-owned like fashion entity. And... Mm-hmm. 
immediately after we kind of started that, we put like 30 pieces up and it sold out in about one hour. And then we tried again and it repeated itself. And kind of at that moment began uh, a kind of business shift for us um, from what formerly was where we had designer and luxury products as part of the matrix to what we've transformed today, where we're the leading reseller of luxury vintage in the world. And over the next kind of now almost eight to 10 years, we've basically moved past that kind of vintage era and now uh, focused directly on the luxury market. And the change of that led to the retail evolution. So the store in La Brea was uniquely placed as a vintage store. But as we now are the biggest dealer Chanel in the world, once our lease was coming, we were like, we have to be in Beverly Hills. So we, we moved that business to basically Rodeo and Brighton Way uh, now two and a half years ago. And it was like wildfire. And we knew at that time, you know, the market for this was only starting and we wanted to see the moment. And we had opened the East Hampton store to kind of test it out there. Uh, we followed that up with a Miami location. And throughout our life, we always wanted to go uptown because in New York City, the diversity and the client range between the two sides of the city, it, it's certainly like night and day. Uh, and for probably the past five or six years, we've been working with different brokers, looking up and down the street to find like the right spot for us. And on uh, mass and the rents are still extreme that at this point, I think like 25% of Madison Avenue is vacant because you can't make money. And so for us, we wanted to find something like in the corridor, but not directly in the block. And there are occasionally like uh, retail townhouses that come available, but they're definitely scarce. Um, and about a year and a half ago, we were introduced to this opportunity on 67th between Madison and Fifth Avenue. And it immediately spoke to us that this would be the perfect spot for us. And, after extensive negotiation, we were able to make uh, a, a lease that we felt would put us in position to be successful. And this week, really two days ago, we, we christened the new mothership and uh, probably set what I, I imagine could be a new standard for not just what we do, but for retail in general, of uh, taking luxury to a new place. And even now, it's a, a bit surreal for me to imagine that you know, from, you know, our humble beginnings with a small store. And so that now we're in the midst of the position that we're in with this Madison Avenue flagship. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. And I'm mean, super fired up about it as, as well you should be. Uh, how do you guys, I guess, both, both find and curate all the items in your stores and then also – how different is it from one store to the next? So, you know, finding the pieces has been one of the kind of fun pursuits of our careers. I mean, throughout um, the world, there are places where uh, there's either markets or stores or auctions or dealers. And, you know, we've been on world tour throughout, you know, making relationships with these people, dealers, and places like that. You know, most um, of the resale industry, which is now a, a pretty preeminent you know, subject, are based on the consignment model. So they don't actually buy the goods. They kind of take the goods and in a true traditional consignment way, 
don't necessarily have the edit. And one of the things about us is we've always been about high fashion and, you know, key style and how the, the timelessness of that. And, you know, with that, we've been exploring and kind of learning the history of fashion through the evolution of the business from literally buying from turn of the century to now being buying a designer label. We really have been educated and kind of learn what's out there. And as a result, you know, the keenness of our eye and the sharpness of our attention to what has been successful is one of the key separation points for us at the business that you, you can't just buy taste. And in a way, we've evolved that taste throughout our careers. And with the help of both our clients and the incredible staff around us, now we have a vast array of relationships and virtually a team of people, both internally and externally, who are always on the hunt looking for pieces that they know we'd want. And that, that kind of aspect that we actually just buy the goods has given us a strategic advantage, if I might say, that you know we can be selective, we can be uh, curated, and as a result, we kind of are the key tastemaker, trendmaker retail business almost in the whole world at this point. How big is your team now? Um, so I was going over my budget for the year, and my CFO told, showed me 159 employees. <laughs> and uh, even to myself, we've been growing um, so rapidly. Pretty, the last five years, we've gone through a, a hockey stick growth period. And uh, even for myself, I was like, wow, 150. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of people. It, yeah, yeah it, it is. And how do you, and you're based in New York, but how do you oversee each of your locations, you know, keep your finger on the pulse uh, of the operation. And then how do you balance, how do you balance that? Cause you can't be in every place you know, at the same time, but yet it's such a business of, of personal relationships and being out there, as you said. I think it comes down to like how you lead your team. I mean, uh, over this process, it, we've been you know, lucky enough to continue to embed our company with uh, a vast array of incredibly talented professionals and work very closely of how to teach and train and build our business to be scalable. Um, you know, the irony of our business is that, you know, the front side of our retail business is what most people attribute our success to. But behind the scenes, we have a vast wholesale business and a, a very nice, you know, build an e-commerce platform. So in a way, we're a true omni-channel business. And you know, in order to run a business like this, it comes down to leadership and executives, communication, and find the right people to be able to do that. Yep. Now, you go back 25 years and you and your partner effectively, you know, just, just kids. Um, your lives have obviously changed. Your life has changed throughout the growth of the business as well. Um, married children, you know, how has that evolution been for you, both, you know, personally and professionally, you know, as you've grown up in the business? Um, you know, it's, it's kind of odd for me because in a way, like, the business is also a baby, and uh, my love and my passion for what I do, I think, is part of what has led us make the success of the business, but my wife, who has been, you know, with me for now almost 23 years, um, 
has been along for the ride. And I think that luckily she kind of knows how much, you know, this is part of me as a person and has been, you know, amazingly supportive and flexible to allow me to do that. Uh, to say it's not a challenge is absolutely false because, you know, the demands of running a business, as a lot of people know, sometimes it's hard to choose your battle. And I think luckily with, you know, my two children, you know, my oldest who just started college and my youngest is in high school, um, I've been able to, you know, take them along for the ride. They get to do a bit of the travel of some of the great places we get to go to. And, you know, I think that they kind of understand and appreciate what I do. And I think in a way it's crossed over to them because uh, a lot of my celebrity clients are like people that they are always looking up to. So it's kind of a, a fun thing when, they can see some people, they're like, oh, my God, I love that. And then next thing you know, like Travis Scott is shopping my store, and they're, they're like huge fans of it. So in a way, it, you know, because it's so interesting and dynamic, it, it's helped keep them attached to it, which is, you know, I think helpful for me for them to have perspective. Yep. Houston guy, too. So, that. <laughs> <laughs> so the celebrity clientele also. Um and you guys really have, have an unbelievable celebrity clientele. How did that first, I guess, in a way, get started? And then if you could talk a little bit about kind of the evolution of, of the influencer market, celebrity market, you know, social media, these things that didn't exist when you first got started. Yeah, I mean, I I, I recently was looking at, I, I was keeping a journal uh, during my 20s, and I looked back at kind of when I had met my wife and, and also it was the early stages of business. And, you know, really early on, we had already attracted that kind of fashion uh, celebrity client because we are offering something so uniquely different. Um, I, these people who are constantly in focus of uh, the camera and in terms of the public eye are always trying to be individual stylists and have you know, things to kind of separate from them. Uh, and, you know, vintage and luxury vintage ideal that we have really allows them to express themselves so uniquely and also to have things that other people just can't find. And I think as, you know, we've gained uh, momentum over our career, one of the reasons why we've built such a good relationship with these people is because we have been, you know, not taking advantage of that. We're, we've never been the type of story that, oh, well, Lenny Kravitz was here. Let's call the press. No, we, we just let them shop. We've treated them amazingly. The personalization of our business uh, has been one of the success aspects of us. And, you know, I, building trust, you know, is one of the key aspects for a successful business. And as a business that has such a unique model for us, it's even more so because in my industry, there's this kind of overarching cloud of whether it's authentic or not. And I think that in the re-owned market that we're in, all these companies such as the Real Reels or Rebags, you know, who have been jumping into the industry quickly, you know, they just don't have the expertise or the bandwidth to be able to protect their customers as much as we do. And I think that that trust embedded with our customers has been part of the, the rise of our celebrity following. And now, it, you know, it's almost surreal in a way that 
I recently was doing an interview and the question for me was like, well, which celebrity client uh, is out there that doesn't shop with you that you want to shop with you? And then I had to take pause and think about it. And then uh, unfortunately my response is, I really don't think there's any of them because um, literally every top name in the world uh, in some respect, whether it's directly or through their stylist is currently a client of ours. And, you know, on, on Friday, when we had the opening of the Madison Avenue store, it's kind of this. This is just what goes on. So we we had a live taping with uh, local Fox that morning to kind of talk about the store, and then we went and did interviews. Next thing you know, we had been approached a couple of days before by uh, Kendall Jenner and Kourtney Kardashian wanted to come to Soho to tape on the show. So in the midst of all the opening party chaos, we had to go all the way back downtown to meet up with them to kind of help them shop Soho before going back up to when the party where we had, I think, really like a dozen Victoria's Secret models at the event. And it's just kind of a snowball for us. And then, you know, every day of the week, uh, I keep seeing top clients and celebrities uh, in one of the stores around the country, you know, transacting because we're really offering something more exclusive than any brand in the world at this point. Yeah. Let me take you a little bit of a different direction. Um, you know, with all of these moving pieces and everything you're talking about here, what is your day-to-day life like? What's, what's, your, what's your daily routine? Uh, when I'm in New York, and we just opened a new headquarters in Jersey City, you know, just so I can consolidate all my operations and, and staff together. Um, I'm, I'm moving, you know, from team to team internally. Um, we have an executive team now with uh, 14 vice president or above level uh, personnel who is kind of running the business. So this group, which we've named like the G14, we meet with directly once a week and throughout the week. Uh, about half of them or more directly report to me. So, you know, we have a series of scheduled meetings that are being conducted. And when I'm able to maintain the schedule, it's to just continue to run through my different teams in terms of the dis- different business operations. But I, I, it's been now, I, I think I'm traveling a third of the month on average, uh, you know, throughout both, both our network of stores, uh, we have offices in Japan, so um, we do a lot of our buying in Japan. So I'm in Japan, you know, three to four times a year. So I'm in Japan on average 30 or plus days a year, um, in addition to everywhere else I have to go. So, you know, it's um, I like to say I'm a moving target. How much time do you spend getting dressed every day? I mean, not, not as much as people think. Uh, it comes quite naturally to me, and I have such a, like, a sharp like style that ultimately like it, it comes relatively quickly to me, just, you know, what I want to do to differentiate my style on a daily basis. My entire company are fashion obsessed, you know, people. So I, I have to set a, a good trend on that level. So I definitely bring style on a daily basis. So what advice do you have for, seriously, for other guys out there? Like why can't guys dress for the most part? I think that, ironically, that most of the males in America particularly uh, are not concerned about the, the impression that style can make on 
anyone. I mean, the jeans, t-shirt, baseball cap, uh, uniform for most males in this country uh, is good enough for most. And I think uh, it's just not embedded in the cultural aspects. If you look at the European male, and they're always a little more buttoned up, and you see them typically on a more higher style basis and kind of a little bit sharper dressed. Uh, in my travels to Japan, you know, Japanese style has always been a trend-setting style, but American style has always been a laggard, for lack of a better word, and particularly for the American male. Who does it well? In which regards? In, you know, American man, like whose style, you know, do you, who do you think does it well? Um you know, who you mean from American designers, you mean? Um, not necessarily from a designer standpoint, but, you know, from a guy standpoint, from a celebrity standpoint, you know, I tend to lean towards more of the simple, more of the iconic, you know, in there. But yeah. there there are guys that have great style and pull it off, and you get on a day-to-day basis, look around, you know, most don't, you know? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we've become good friends with John Barbados, who's probably one of the top menswear designers like out there. And I think his um, his style, which has a true rock and roll edge, but with this kind of European sensibility is kind of one of the few people that I feel is on point. And I think that um, within like men who dress, I mean, unfortunately now there's no more rock star style because there's now we're in the hip hop era and their their style is much more driven actually by the luxury logo part of my business, which is ironic because we appeal to people like Travis as opposed to like someone like Lenny Kravitz, who's been a client of mine from like day one. And I love his style because he represents a style more similar to my own. But, you know, I think style is something that is up to the individual. And, you know, most of the, you know, guys, you know, are, you know, not, in a place where they can express themselves in the workplace because, you know, if, if you're in corporate world, you're usually buttoned up and how much can you do with a suit? Of course, you can look amazing in a suit, but in terms of like a casual statement style, there's very few businesses or types of jobs you can have where you can bring that on a day-to-day basis. And then when it comes to like your social life, particularly those of us with kids, it's not like it can be that stylistically when you're chasing the kids around. Mhm. Yeah. You guys do a lot, obviously, for the nature of the business. A lot of entertaining, some pretty amazing parties. You know, being out there. Um, is that the same for you now, or how you handle it now? Um, you're in in your forties, as it was, you know, when you guys were starting out in your twenties. Mm-hmm. I can't stay out that late anymore. So, you know, how do you how do you yeah, right. balance balance that responsibility too? Well, I mean, I wish I was still in my 40s, but I just turned 51. Happy birthday. <laughs> and, okay. Thank you. Um, but what the truth is, like, when we were kind of doing our events and parties when we were younger, it, you know, we were definitely, you know, loose and it was, it was about having fun. You know, now when we're running the party, you know, as much as it is a great time, you know, we're trying to create relationships. We're trying to meet our clients. We're trying to, you know, have professional time with them. And, you know, eventually they, they roll into the soiree. But, you know, we, we got into this business because we like to be in the mix. We like to be out. We like to be social and party. So the fact that now that we can host these parties with, 
the Victoria's Secret girls or Kim Kardashian at our parties just makes it more fun. Where do you want to go from here? You just got this new flagship store open. You mentioned moving the, the team even to Jersey and everything. What's the next 20 years like for, for what goes around? I think that there's, you know, a cultural shift that's happening right now of people looking at the resale and the sustainability concept in such a meaningful way. And the fact that we're like not only sustainable, but the circular economy that, you know, for, you know, a lot of reasons is key for the environmental future of the world. I think we're in a unique position for that. And I think that ultimately what we want to do is kind of create the, the club, so to speak, for the people who are looking for high fashion, looking for collectability, who are looking for the brands that we have and try to put our brand both on the top of their list, but also in the places where they go. And, you know, retail is a challenging business, but for us, it's part of our calling card. So selectively, eventually I could see us expanding our retail, whether it be in traditional footprints or in unique footprints, whether it be on a cruise ship or a hotel or some other, you know, transform those subjects to continue to be around the world, the spot that people want to both buy and sell. Because ultimately, you know, we'd love to continue to figure out how do we acquire the goods. So the duality of the future for business is to kind of have that complete the circle. Because right now we buy a little bit from the public, but not that much. And I think mm-hmm. for us to scale the business, we have to continue to develop, show supply. And as we've met with different investors or people, that's always the constant you know, pressure point is, well, can you get enough stuff? And so through the goals of our future is how do we on both a retail footprint, but also on the digital and e-commerce side, how do we become the kind of catch all, so to speak, of where people want to buy and sell their product. And I think that would be kind of the thing that can take us beyond, you know, the level that we're at today. You have one item, okay? What is your go-to must-have, you know, if you could only take one item or wear one item, what is it? (laughs) In my closet, you're saying? I doesn't even have to be there now, right? I imagine your closet is always changing, too. Um, yeah, I'm always adding to it, but one item, that's, that's almost impossible. I mean, if the house is on fire, I don't know what I'm going to take. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, as much as I like all my luxury items, I, I have to say my rock and roll T-shirts are still very dear and near to me, so... Uh, I don't know which one I'd take, but I would try to grab a handful of those just in case they wake a fire. Gotcha. Well, listen, Seth, I appreciate you being a good sport. appreciate you being on the show, particularly giving up this time um, on a Sunday. Congrats on all your success. My best to the family. Seth Weiser on the Midlife Mail podcast today. What goes around comes around. Thanks, Seth. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate it. The Midlife Mail Podcast with Greg Scheinman was presented by Inns Group Insurance. Inns Group is ensuring success. For more information, visit innsgroup.net.